Good morning. Welcome. To the few that brave that weather, we are so glad that you're here. For those of you that are with us online, it doesn't matter. We're serving the Lord anyway, no matter where we're at. For those of you that are here, if you want to, stand up with us. We're going to sing the solid rock. morning, Kavanaugh. How we doing? Welcome to the Lord's house. We're so glad that you made it either in person or joining us online. I know a bunch of you are online today. Uh, saw a bunch of you guys come in on your snowshoes that made it in person, so thank you for being here. Uh, today's an awesome day. It's a great day, and there's three amazing things happening today. Did you know that? Number one is it's Sunday, so we get to come to the Lord's house and worship Him. Number two, it's Valentine's Day, all right? And number three, it's snowing. Hey, when you live where we do, you get excited about snow because that happens like once every seven years, all right? So pretty awesome day. We're so glad you're here. And most importantly is we're going to worship our Savior today. Uh, I am so glad that we can come to his house and praise him and focus on him. So we're going to do that today as a body of believers, whether you're in this sanctuary physically or you're joining us online we are one body of believers today, and we're going to worship our Savior. Would you stand with me? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then we want you all, man, to make a joyful noise with your voice and just praise the Lord today. God, we love you. Thank you for the privilege to be in your house. Thank you for the amazing gift of salvation. Thank you for this day that you've created, Lord. And thank you for giving us the freedom and the opportunity to worship you. May you speak into our hearts today. And Lord, may we be obedient to you and to trust you as Savior and to live our lives for your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
someone today, Father, that they would look to you and know that Jesus loves them. Lord, that you are for us. We praise you for that, Father. We thank you that you sent your Son, that Jesus is our Savior. We ask that your Spirit move in this place. Move online to those that are listening. Remove distractions and I pray that the Word would come alive. We praise you today in Jesus' name. trusting that a bunch of people are watching online. Hey, if you are watching online, would you do me a favor and send me one of those little happy face things, all right? That would, that would make me happy as well. Yeah, I can, I don't know, I can just feel it in the air. Can y'all, can y'all sense and feel it in the air? There, there, there are a couple of things that I'm feeling in the air. One of them is bitter cold, all right? Uh, when I came in here, I checked the temperature, it's 15 degrees outside, and it feels like it's two degrees outside. And those snowflakes are about that big coming down. They're, they're absolutely huge. So that, that cold that I'm feeling is going to kind of play into my sermon today. But there's something else that I'm feeling. 
It's love. It really is. I'm feeling love. Why? Because today is, no, it's love day. It's not Valentine's. It's love day. We call it love day. I do know there are a couple of uh, married couples in our church who actually got married on Valentine's Day. Eric and Sherry Brewer, 34 years ago, they were married. My mom and dad, 1958, they decided to say I do on Valentine's Day. So this is number 63 for you guys. Yeah. I don't, I don't worry about them anymore. I think they're going to make it, you know, after 63 years. So, but, but you know what? That, that can't be said for everybody. Uh, you know, love, love sometimes comes and love sometimes goes, and sometimes our hearts become cold. And so today I'm, I'm going to talk about the antidote or the cure for what I'm calling cold heart-itis, all right? Cold heart-itis. Now, I hope that you guys gave your, your um, girlfriend, your wife, a Valentine's card today. I haven't given Angie hers yet, but I, I hand, I'll just tell you, I made, I made it. Right? Isn't that great? You know, why, why go to the store and buy something that, that costs about 100 times more than it's worth? That's aside the point. And says something that you didn't write. You know? So I handmade my wife her card, and I know that just kind of ups the anticipation level for when I give it to you later today. And I was going to put this poem in it, but the poem was too long, so I just decided to share the poem with you, all right? Here it is, great little poem. Nice night in June, stars shine, big moon. In park with girl, heart pound, head swirl. Me say love, she coo like dove. Me smart, me fast. Me don't let chance pass. Are y'all liking this? Get hitched, me say. She say, okay. Wedding bells ring, honeymoon, everything. Settle down. Happy life, happy man, happy wife. Another night in June, stars shine, big moon. Me not happy anymore. Carry baby, walk the floor. Wife mad, she stew. Me mad, stew too. Life one big spat. Nagging wife, bawling brat, we realize at last we move too fast. Isn't that great? Oh, isn't it? It's beautiful. It starts out great, kind of, kind of ends sad. But you know what? Listen, this is real life, and I know a whole lot of relationships that have started out with a bang and they end with a fizzle. Dan Clements is a marriage counselor, also a seminary professor. He talks about a lot Christian marriages, and and here's what Dan tells us. He says that romantic love can only last for about two years, and if after that two years you have not replaced romantic love with a strong, stable, biblical love, then he said your relationship is in trouble. If you keep looking for romantic love, he said in one of his seminars, you'll find yourself moving from person to person. It's neat to be a newlywed, but it's better to be mature in your love. What often happens, however, is something like this. A girl falls in love. It's on a moonlit night, maybe in June, just as our poem says. She marries with high expectations because all of her life she has been waiting for her knight in shining armor to come and just kind of swoop her off of her feet. She's dreamed about this romantic love that she would be in, that he would be her protector and her provider and her lover and also her hero. So they marry, they honeymoon, they begin to settle down and they get into this, I don't know, we'll just call it a routine. But after a while, her, her new husband seems to have changed. He, he's no longer concentrating on her. The, the world doesn't revolve around her anymore. He's got a job that he goes to. He seems to care more about his work than he does her. He's got his buddies and he's got his hobbies. And above all of that, he leaves his dirty underwear in the bathroom floor every day for her to pick up. And that irritates her. 
It also irritates her that she never gets any compliments anymore. And all he does is gripe about the money that she spends. Physical intimacy to him has become fast and furious, more selfish than sensitive. And gradually there is this sickening feeling that is erupting in her soul and her heart is becoming cold. That disappointment is settling in. It's fading into apathy and and also flaring into anger. And let me tell you, when there is apathy and there is anger, there's trouble because there's fighting and words are spoken and arguments occur. Damage occurs in the relationship. And before the damage gets healed, more words are spoken and more damage is inflicted and their hearts become callous. And here's the problem, their hearts get cold. Wow. Does the Bible talk about this? Most definitely. In fact, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus tells us that in the last days, the hearts of both men and women will become cold. That's what Jesus said, that in the last days, our hearts are going to get cold. And in my own experience as an observer of the many marriages and couples that have come through my office in the past 38 years, I can tell you this, I've seen more cold, cold hearts than Hank Williams could have ever dreamed about. What do we do when our hearts grow cold? Is there any way you can defrost a cold, cold heart? Is there a cure or an antidote for cold heart-itis? I hope you people online are more excited than these people in this room. I want to tell you there is. There is a cure for your cold heart-itis, and it's found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. We're going to look at this verse and the verses before and after it, but our key verse, Colossians 3, 12 says, Therefore... As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with, and then there are these five garments that he lists, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You put on these five marriage garments, and I guarantee you, your cold heart is going to get warm again. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would direct us through this passage today. And help our cold, cold hearts to become warm in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Colossians 3.12. Look, look at me. This is a good verse to memorize. Last week we told you that 1 Corinthians 10.13, good verse to memorize. Colossians 3.12, good verse to memorize. Here's what I would suggest. You print this verse out, handwrite it out, put it on your nightstand right beside your bed. Stick it on your refrigerator. Put it on the walls of your house. Why? Look at me. This verse can save your marriage. You say, that's touting that verse pretty high. Well, you know what? It needs to be touted high because I guarantee you this verse has the power and the ingredients to save your marriage. The first word in Colossians 3.12 is the word therefore. It points back to the preceding passage. Chapter 3 of Colossians opens by reminding us of the importance of keeping Jesus Christ centered in our life. That is, Jesus must be number uno, number one in your life. And when you make Jesus central in your life, every other relationship fits like it's supposed to fit. So make Christ central. Here's how Colossians 3 begins. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So, two key ingredients in this passage. Number one, put Jesus first in your life. Make Christ central to your life. And then as Christ is on the throne of your life, you crucify or put to death all of the things that are in conflict with Christ. 
You put out of your life all of the things that are going to make you unlike Jesus Christ. And he lists this list of sinful and immature attitudes and behaviors that we need to put out of our life. In fact, he says this in verse number 8. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Rage. Rage. Do you get a mental image in your mind when you hear that word rage? Have you ever, have you ever had somebody just unload on you and it was rage and fury? Malice. It's not much better than rage. Slander, talking bad about other people. Filthy language coming out of your lips. You put all these things out of your life. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator who is Jesus Christ. So here's what this passage is saying. Strip off all of these garments that are so unlike Jesus Christ. Take these dirty, filthy, stinky, nasty clothes off. I told the first service, it reminds me when Angie and I first got married. We lived in Enid. I was a youth pastor. We, we, didn't, we were poor. We didn't make anything. You know what we were living on? Come on. We were living on love. We were living on love and a whole lot of prayer, you know. We just had barely had enough money to buy groceries, and, and they, the church, somebody in the church gave us a house to live in. They let us live in that house rent-free, or we would, we would have been out in the street, man. We, did, we just barely made enough to, to live. But I was the youth pastor, and I had this healthy youth group, good, good group of kids, and most of the young men in my youth group raced motorcycles. Danny, they, they raced motocross bikes. And so, I, I, you know, I just had it in my heart. I, need to, I really need to connect with these boys, and I need to get close to them. And so, Miss Angie, can I please buy a motorcycle so I can go out and ride with these boys? And it took, it took some whittling there, you know. But she finally said, okay. And I found me old KDX 175, and I'd go out and ride with my boys and connect with them, and we got close. And one Saturday morning, we got up early and went to this motocross track, and Man, it was muddy out there, but we rode all day, had a great time, came back home, unloaded the motorcycle, and I was smart enough to come around to the back door of the house. You stepped up these little steps and went right into the laundry room. And Miss Susan, I thought I was doing Angie a favor by coming in the house through the laundry room, but I was a muddy mess from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. But she met me right there in the laundry room. And she said to me, where do you think you're going? And I said, well, I'm going to come in here and take this mess. She says, you're not coming in this house like that. I said, well, what do you want me to do? And she said, I want you to stand right out there in the yard. And she got the water hose with one of those high-powered nozzles on it. And she went to rinsing me off and peeling my skin off. She got all the mud off of me, and I was just a little wet thing standing out there cold as I could be. I said, now what? She said, you take every bit of your clothes off right here and leave them on the back porch and then you can come in this house. I said, Miss Angie, they're, they're, we have neighbors all around us. She said, listen to me. Those neighbors aren't looking at you and they wouldn't care anyway. Take them off. And so you know what I did? Hmm. Now, I don't want you to get that image stuck in your head. All right, please don't. That's not the point of my story. The point of the story is this. I took off the dirty, nasty, filthy clothes. And that's what Paul is saying to do here. You take off rage and malice and slander and bad talk out of your mouth and lying. You get rid of that stuff. But he did not intend us to walk around naked. He said at the same time, put on these things. Clothe yourself with these things. Don't stay out in that cold, cold world without a stitch of clothing on. You put on the right kind of clothing, and that brings us back to our memory verse, verse number 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with. 
Some translations say put on, and then he gives us this set of clothing he wants us to put on. Five pieces of garment that will clothe our lives and make us like Jesus Christ. Five pieces of clothing that if you and your spouse both put these five garments on, your marriage is going to be a whole lot better. And what are these five pieces of clothing he says to put on? The first is compassion. Compassion. Some translations use the word tender mercies there. And, and you know what? As, as I read this and went back up to verse 8, the things that we are to take off, the first thing that we are to take off is rage. Just people who just rage and erupt and just vomit their stuff out on you. I don't know, Angie and I have gotten into this, this thing. We, we like watching old Columbo movies. Anybody remember Columbo movies? You know, I just love, he is so funny. Just hilarious to watch Columbo. So we kind of got on this binge of watching these old Columbo movies. We watched one last night, uh, or the other night. It's about uh, these two twin brothers who killed their rich uncle. But the old lady who kept this mansion of a house for the rich uncle was immaculate. She kept everything just as clean as she could. And here comes old Columbo into the house. And you know, he's got that overcoat on and he's smoking his cigar. He's in there looking at stuff, and, and the guy was found dead on a treadmill, and he's looking at the treadmill, and he kind of flicks his old cigar, and ashes go everywhere. That lady erupted in rage towards Columbo. She said, ah, what are you doing? Were you raised in a barn? I mean, just rage. Now, I'm not going to ask you if you've ever seen that kind of rage from your spouse or not, but you know what? Sometimes we allow that kind of rage in our home don't we? And to couple that rage, to, he says, take rage off in its place. Put on what? Put on compassion. Put on tender mercy. That word compassion means a sympathetic feeling. Now, why is it that my heart grows cold towards my spouse? Why is it that I get cold heart-itis? Well, one of the main reasons is because I'm selfish, and, and I become offended when things go, don't go my way, when I don't get what I want, I'm hurt or I'm disappointed. And it all becomes about me. There's that I-centered problem. Did you know that Jesus was not like that at all? Jesus tended to look over or beyond the offense to the hurts and the needs of those people offending him. Jesus had sympathetic feelings. Jesus had compassion even for his enemies. And that compassion kept Jesus' heart from getting cold towards people. Remember what Jesus said? Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I really believe that compassion is really the most needed attitude that we have in our marriages today. And I really believe that a good dose of compassion can go a long way in melting that cold, cold heart that you might have. It was Henry Longfellow who once wrote, if we could only read the secret history of our enemies, we would find in each man's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm his hostility. So, instead of looking at your husband or your wife and thinking, why aren't they better to me? Why in the world would they do that or say that? Why in the world did I marry such a jerk? Huh? Instead of thinking that or saying that, you need to look at your spouse and say this, Lord, I, I don't know what is going on in their life, but I know this, they were created in your image, and I know that they really do love me. So if they're going to respond to me in the way they're responding to me, something's got to be wrong in their life. They've got to have some deep hurts. There's something below the surface. So, Lord, give me compassion. Help me to be just like you. Help me to love them and forgive them. And, dear Lord, be compassionate towards them. Can we work on that? Can we, can we show a little tender mercy instead of rage and fury? The second piece of clothing he says put on is kindness kindness. That, that counteracts the wrath back up in verse 8, to be kind to one another. For a number of years, I've been working on this theory uh, 
that I've read about, and, and I really think there's something to it. It's called the as-if principle. Okay, you're with me? As-if. Simply stated, it, it says that if you will act as if you felt a certain way, pretty soon you'll start feeling that way. If you act as if you feel a certain way, pretty soon you'll start feeling that way, both negative and positive. If you begin acting like you're depressed, you know what? Sooner or later, you're going to feel depressed. If you start acting in a cheerful kind of way, sooner or later, you know what? You're going to be more cheerful. It's based on the premise that our emotions follow our thoughts. It's not anything new. William James wrote about it back in 1892. He said, by regulating the action, we can indirectly regulate the feeling. Thus, the sovereign voluntary path to cheerfulness. If our spontaneous cheerfulness be lost, it is that we set up cheerfully and that we begin to act and speak as if cheerfulness were already there and it will be there. Now, I know some of you, you're, you're sitting at home listening to this, and you're thinking, he's sounding more like Dr. Phil than he is Pastor Will. I mean, what, what does this have to do with the Word of God? Is this even found in the Bible? It is. It's all through the Bible. And I really think it applies directly to our interpersonal relationships and specifically to our marriages. Where do I find that? Revelation chapter 3. Jesus has just rebuked the church at Ephesus because, as he said, you have forsaken your first love. Now, again, here's the scenario. Jesus is saying to the church at Ephesus, you have forsaken your first love. He's getting on to them. You have left your first love. That is, their love for Jesus Christ has become cold. They have cold heart itis towards Jesus. They've left their first love. Is there a remedy for that? You better believe it. Here's what he said. Remember the heights from which you have fallen. Repent and then go back and do the things that you did at first. So remember. Remember what it was like when you first fell in love with me, Jesus said. Repent because you're the one who has walked away. You're the one who has allowed your heart to become cold. And the remedy is you begin doing the things that you once did, that you used to do. You go back and do those same things again. That makes sense? Remember, repent, and return. You know what? That applies to our marriages as well. If your love has grown cold, you need to remember what it was like when you first fell in love. You need to repent because you're the one who has the problem, and then you be, need to begin doing the things you did at first, the things that enabled you to fall in love. Don't worry about the feelings. You just act as if you loved one another again, and the feelings are going to follow. Are you sure, Brother Will? Well, if you do it from the right heart, it will. It's a proven fact. I read a book entitled The Fine Art of Friendship. It was co-authored by these two guys, and they tell a true story about a guy named Joe. Y'all want to hear about Joe? Oh, average Joe? We'll call him average Joe. Okay. Joe fell in love. Beautiful young girl. He thought it was it, and so they got married. And you know what? The first couple of years, they were pretty happy. That third year was just a mess. Everything fell apart. Joe realized he didn't love her anymore. She, she was no longer the, the woman of his dreams or his love. She didn't keep the house. She let herself go. She was just, oh, man, it was just, it was bad. He, they fought all the time like cats and dogs, and he just, he wanted out. He wanted a divorce, but he was so embittered and so angry that she had ruined his life. He didn't just want to divorce her. He wanted to hurt her. Not physically, he wanted to hurt her emotionally. Are you with me? And so he went to a friend of his, a psychologist friend, and he asked his friend, what, what should I do? How should I, how should I leave her in a way that's going to hurt her the most? 
And his friend thought about it a little bit, and he says, hey, why don't you try this idea? Starting tonight, when you get back, you treat her like a goddess. You start treating her like a princess. I mean, do a 180 from the way you've been treating her. Just do a total 180, and, and you start treating her like she's the greatest thing on the face of this earth. You, you talk to her, love her, send her flowers, spend time with her, listen to her. You, you just treat her like a goddess. And he said that after two months, after two months of treating her that way, you just pack your bags and walk out. He said, it will devastate her. You want to hurt her? That's the way to hurt her. Now, some of you women are looking at me like, you got to be, and you guys are shaking your head like, oh, okay. Oh, that, no, nobody. That's the way you people online are doing, right? Well, you know what? Joe thought that was a good idea. And so he did. He went home that night and he started treating her like a princess. The next morning, he brought her breakfast in bed. He would send her flowers to the workplace. He would leave little love notes on her pillow. They went on a romantic rendezvous one weekend. They would stay up late at night reading books to one another. I mean, he, he just he kept it up for a full two months. And at the end of the two months, he saw his buddy out one day. And his buddy said, how's it going, Joe? Are you a happy bachelor once again? To which Joe responded, are you kidding? I've never been more in love in my whole life. She's wonderful. Now, let me tell you what, she didn't change one bit, but Joe did. Could we just try kindness? Could, could we just try being nice to each other? Even, listen, even if you don't feel like it, do it, because it's the right thing. Number three, and you're ready for me to go on, aren't you? Number three is humility. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, and humility. Humility. What is humility? Well, it, it's serving others. I, I think the picture that Jesus gives us of humility is when he washed the disciples' feet. The, the master became the servant. The one who should have been served was the one serving. That's humility. But let me just use this as a good opportunity to balance out the picture for us. We've been talking about compassion and kindness and now humility. But by that, we don't mean that you should let the other person take advantage of you or abuse you or walk over you. I don't mean that you should never be honest and open and you shouldn't bring up issues that need to be discussed because you should do that. Humility doesn't mean that you think poorly of yourself or that you become the victim of abuse. It doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean weakness. It means strength, the strength to serve. It means that you have a genuine concern about this other person. It means that you do what Philippians chapter 2 says that we are to do, and that is to care about the other person as much as you care about yourself. Don't you think that would help your marriage? That instead of walking around with the attitude, okay, what can you do for me today? How, how, how can you serve me today? What can you give me today? That I turn that around and say, how can I serve you today? What can I do for you today? You know what? Listen, if you've got a husband and wife and both of them feel that way, they're both humble and serving, boy, I tell you what, you've got a good home. Amen. Amen? Number four is gentleness. Some translations use the word meekness, being meek. And again, it's, it's not being weak. It's being gentle. It's being meek. Somebody said a long time ago, it's not the big things that destroy and bury a marriage. It's the little digs that can bury your marriage. And I think that is true. When you tear into each other, when you're angry and you say too much and you go too far in your words, it does terrible harm. You, you can tear another person apart. You can tear the person that you've committed your life to. You can tear the person that you have promised to love, cherish, 
and adore the rest of your life completely apart and do a great deal of damage. You know what? They may be in the wrong, but it doesn't give you the right to tear them apart. No, you need to do what Galatians chapter 6 says. You need to restore them, and the word that he uses is gently. You need to restore them in gentleness or meekness. So on top of the undergarments of compassion, kindness, and humility, we need to put on this shirt of gentleness. We need to be gentle with one another. Man. Wow. Are you done yet, preacher? No, there's one more. It's the word patience. That's the way the NIV translates it. King James, New King James, uses the word long-suffering. Literally, the word is long-tempered. It means to have a long fuse. Do, do you know anybody who has a short fuse? Doesn't take much. Man, that fuse gets lit. Katie, bar the door. Woo! It's going to be a mess. It's the opposite of that. This word is. Being long-fused, having patience, long-suffering. That's the way we need to be with one another. Bite your tongue. Count 10 seconds. Be long-suffering. He, he goes on in the next verse, verse 13, and talks about the results of this and, and how we to do the, our to do this. He says, you bear with each other. You forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. And here's the kicker. You forgive them just like the Lord forgave you. Wow. And over all these virtues put on, and in parentheses I said, here's another garment, it's the coat of love. You put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love is the glue that holds all this together. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So you be patient with one another, long-suffering. You forgive one another, just like Jesus forgave you. And with that patience, you add to it love. And then when you got love, you got peace. And when you got love and peace, man, you got a pretty good place to live. I hope all of you are okay. If you're in this room, would you look at me just for a second? Everybody look. It's not going to take me long to look around at everybody because we don't. You okay? I mean, do you feel okay? Right now, do you physically, do you feel okay? I hope you do. If not, if you start feeling bad, you're going to go to the doctor. Chances are. And, and right now, it doesn't matter what. Even if it's your toe that's hurting, they're going to give you a COVID test. Right? <laughs> doesn't matter. It's COVID. But if your COVID test comes back okay... Then he's going to address your problem, okay? And I don't know, maybe he diagnoses you with some kind of infection and he prescribes to you an antibiotic and he says, here's the deal, you've got to take this medicine if you want to get well. I prescribed two tablets a day, one in the morning, one at night. You need to eat a little bit with each one of these, but you need to take one in the morning, one at night, and you need to take all of the pills in the bottle. Don't, don't stop taking them, even if you start feeling better, because that infection's not going to go away until you take all the pills. And if you do this, you're going to be okay. So if that happened to you, raise your hand to answer this. If that happened to you, would you f get that prescription filled? Would you go right then to the pharmacy and get that prescription filled? Okay. Well, I, ho I hope that you would, because I want you to get better. And you need to take that prescription to get better, right? right? You know what? Some of you may be physically okay, but your heart's not okay. And I'm not talking about your physical. I'm talking about that, that spiritual side of you, that, that thing that beats in your chest that, that's supposed to reach out in love to the person that is closest to you. Maybe you're suffering today from cold heartitis. You know, here's what I want to tell you. If you don't do anything about it, it's going to get worse. Your cold heartitis isn't just automatically going to fix itself. 
you've got to take the prescription. And God says, your prescription is Colossians 3, 12. You put on these marriage garments, and I guarantee you, God is saying this, I guarantee you, your marriage will be better. And that's what I challenge you with today. Memorize Colossians 3.12 and put on these things. I'm going to ask that you would stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. Those watching online, you can stand too. Just, just make the place you're standing your own little altar. With heads bowed and eyes closed, let me, let me just say to you, the central thing, the key thing is to make sure your heart is right with Jesus. That's how Paul began Colossians chapter 3, by making Christ central to your life. You know if he is or not. You know if Jesus is sitting on the throne of your heart and your life. If he's not, I encourage you to put him there. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, you, you can do that very simply by praying a simple prayer and asking him to forgive you of your sins and come into your heart. If you are a believer, I encourage you to make sure Christ is on the throne. And then put on these garments, go home today and start practicing these things, start being gentle and kind and considerate and humble and patient, having compassion for the person that you say means the most to you. Would you pray that prayer right now? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless both those in person and those watching online I pray that your word has found a resting place in our hearts. Lord, if there's anyone who's not right with you, I pray that they would get their hearts right today. And then, dear Lord, for the rest of us, I pray that we would do our part in making our marriages and our homes all that they can be and should be for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Just a couple of things before you leave. I've narrowed this down to three things. Number one, leave this place praying. Pray for one another. Uh, looks like Fort Smith and River Valley is going to be shut down tomorrow uh, and today with, with bad weather. Pray for one another, especially those who, who in our church really need it because of physical illness or spiritual needs. Number two, this week, go out, go, pray and go and tell somebody about the Lord, invite somebody to church. And then number three, give. If you're in the building, you can give your offering. Uh, as you walk out in those little black boxes. If you're watching online, uh, you can give online. Go to KavanaughChurch.com, the Give tab. You can, you can just give your offering online, or you can mail it in. Tonight at 6.30, we are going to have Bible study. It's going to be on Facebook Live. Get this, I'm so excited to tell you this. On Valentine's Day, Al Valentine is going to teach the lesson. Isn't that great? So we have Valentine on Valentine's Day. That's going to be Facebook Book Live at 6.30. Then Wednesday at 7, we're, right now we're planning on having in-person and online church. Uh, weather forecast kind of sketchy. It, it may be bad again on Wednesday. Uh, we'll make a call early in the day if we can't meet in person. But right now we're planning on doing that. I want you to remember a couple things. Number one, the church staff loves you. Number two, your pastor loves you. But most importantly, God loves you. So go with God, all right? God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great day.